press the button. And away we go. Ahoy! I am Gabriel Urbina. I'm Casey Whalen. I'm Ian Gears. I'm Josie Herman. And I'm Michael Herman. And you're listening to the, the Mercury, Mercury Theater, Theater Podcast. Podcast. Today I am pleased to present to you the creator behind Unseen, Wolf 359, and so many other works of audio art. After our show, please listen to some updates about what's going on with Mercury Theater Podcast. In the meantime, we start mid-conversation about Gabriel Urbina's history in all things drama. Uh, I would describe my history in doing that as... (laughs) Honestly, I kind of traipsed into it about seven years ago and did not know what I was getting myself into um, and kind of started off what has eventually turned into a kind of shockingly successful career as a writer and editor of like what I think people tend to describe as like critical cult darlings of the audio fiction scene um but at the when I started doing it, it really was I had a lot of creative friends who weren't being utilized to their full potential, and I really, really wanted to be writing something and directing something and producing something. And kind of in the best garage band movie from the 1980s full of cheesy power rock montages, I said, we should all get together and record something. Um, and so, yeah, so I've kind of gone from a out-of-his-depth punk kid to now more or less a somewhat professional writer and producer and director and creator of um, now four different audio fiction shows. I asked Gabriel what his favorite part of production of any of his series is, since acting wasn't a prominent part of his resume. (laughs) I have done it once or twice because somebody that I really liked twisted my arm really hard. Um, and it's not quite my, it is not quite my wheelhouse. It is not, it's not what I do. So what is your favorite part? Um, it's in, well, it's one of these, like, it depends on how you define favorite. Um, if you're kind of talking about what I get the most fulfillment out of, what I get the most pride out of, what I kind of spend the most time thinking about what kind of gives me the most of that really fulfilling weighty pleasure when I think that I've gotten somewhat right or mostly right or those cases where it's very very rare I feel that I've gotten almost everything right um that's writing um but writing is also oftentimes kind of the one that causes a lot of pain and a lot of anxiety and kind of a lot of pacing back and forth making and remaking the same cup of tea six times as you try to figure out how the pieces fit together. So there's kind of um, a lot of like very high highs and very low lows with writing. Um, If it's favorite just in terms of what is the one that minute by minute you enjoy it the most, that's directing. Um, Directing, I think, is one of the most fun things in the world you get to work with. In my case, being a completely spoiled brat, you get to work with amazing people, You get to kind of help them do their thing. And that, I think, is the greatest feeling in the world, where you're just kind of like, I am enabling you, a wonderful, talented performer and artist, to do what you do and share it with other people. That's fantastic. So I would say that, like, depending on which way the coin goes, either writing or directing is my favorite. 
Artists have a tendency to become, say, self-aware when they present their works to other people. I was curious as to if Gabrielle was any different. Oh, 100%. Every, <laughs> every time, basically. Um, and it sort of does... It is one of those swords that cuts both ways. Um, because on the one hand... There have been times in my life when I've been working on a script and it's gotten to be very late and it's three in the morning and it's, you know, it's not quite working. You know, the pieces aren't fitting together the right way, but it's all kind of there. It all kind of hangs together with a little bit of scotch tape. And there's that voice in the front of your mind that kind of goes like, dude, it's over. You like, you know, you got it to this like C minus place. It's a pass. Go to bed, get some rest. And then the voice comes up in the back of your mind and it's like, wait a minute. No, you're going to give a C minus product to Zach Valenti. You're going to give a C minus product to Emma Sherjarko, to Cecilia Lynn Jacobs, to Felix Trench, to Tom Crowley, to all of these like amazing actors that have gotten to work with. And it's like, no, I'm not. We're going to stay up and we're gonna make this work gosh darn it um which you know has not been terrific for my health but has been great for my career it has taught me <laughs> it has absolutely pushed me to be a better writer and kind of to really have to up my game in order to compete with those people um not compete to kind of i think like barely keep pace out of breath the entire way um on the other hand though there is such a thing as you kind of write something in the privacy of your own, whether it's your living room or your bedroom or your coffee shop or wherever it is that you do the writing, and you're like, yes, we have done it. We have cracked it. Shakespeare himself would quake at the awesomeness of these lines. <laughs> um, and then you sort of give it to someone and you hear the way that it sounds when it's in the air around you rather than in your head. And sometimes you do have those moments when you're like, oh, my God, I want the earth to swallow me whole. I want to just, like, not be here. How could I have thought that those words fit together? How could I have not have realized that that scene contradicts that scene? Um, so you get a little bit of both. Yep. You sort of have a little bit of sometimes you get clarity from that pressure. And then sometimes that pressure sneaks up on you and you want to just you wish that you could have like the last 48 hours back and make all your choices again if you only could. No, and you know, and there is something that is kind of another ball that you have to juggle as an audio fiction writer, or I think even as just like a script writer for anything, whether it's drama or film or audio fiction. Um, what looks good on the page, man, that isn't always what sounds right when it's spoken. Um, and I think that part of it is just because we have, like, so much training with written words, whether it's in prose form or in poetry, the way that it looks on the page. And we kind of have this sense of balance and we look at something and we kind of go like, yeah, that looks like a page. That looks like a page full of good writing. But every now and then you hand it off to someone and you kind of go like, no, it's all stilted and awkward and strange and kind of doesn't jive and the rhythms are all over the place. And so you go and you rewrite it and you're kind of glancing and being like, no, that doesn't look right. But you give it to them and it works. 
Um, and I still, I, I still have that problem day in and day out where I'll look at something on the page and kind of think that it all feels right. And then I'll hear it read out loud and kind of go like, no, it's all just slightly to the left of what it needs to be. Being the curious fellow that I am, I wanted to know if there were any times that stuck out to Gabriel as a particularly fun moment in his career. I think that for me, the greatest kind of moments of pleasure and the greatest moments of satisfaction and the greatest moments of kind of feeling like what I'm doing is cohering are the moments when I realize that, oh, one of the other people in the room that I'm with, whether it's a writing partner or an actor or one of our sound engineers, um, when all of a sudden they say something and you realize kind of like, ah, we have, we both understand this in the same way. We both kind of see this in the right way. Um, there was a moment, and I think that Sarah, my writing partner for a lot of these shows, and I, um, I don't know why I said for a lot of them, for every show that I've done, um, where when we were working on the third season of Wolf 359, our third show, there was a particularly tricky episode that we kind of knew was going to be a big crux point for the series, and that we kind of had to figure out what is the reason for one of the characters to be the way that they are, and we kind of need to figure out how we're going to present this. Um, and we sort of spent a morning just kind of pacing around my living room, tossing out what really felt like a series of the worst possible ideas, um, just kind of like comedically bad ideas, comedically terrible ones, things that kind of, only made the most superficial kind of sense. But the moment that you dug any deeper, you were kind of going like, no, oh my God, that does not fit what we need to do at all. Um, and that's where no bad ideas came. came yeah, they, more or less. <laughs> well, but there was, well, you know, we, that, that, that's, that's a good joke. But there was a sense of, we kept having those sorts of conversations. Um, and the few times that people got to see them, they kind of kept being like, this is a little bit of a show in and of itself because you guys, this sort of idea of volleyball of kind of the back and forth that the two of you have and the two, the two of you have with Zach, this should be a show. And that was a little bit where no bad ideas came from. Um, but to kind of make a long story short, after we'd spent about three hours not having any ideas that were worth keeping in the least, um, all of a sudden we kind of, looked up and realized that we both had the exact same idea. Um, like sort of one of these, like one of us started to say something and immediately the other one finished the sentence. Um, and that was sort of one of those moments where it was kind of a like, okay, this is something because I created these characters. I created this setting. I came up with the idea for this episode, but another person was just able to get enough out of these things that I've put into the world to understand it the same way and the same depth and with this resonance to the way that I see it. That's cool. That's great. Um, and over and over again, when it comes to collaborating with the actors, there have been moments when one of the actors will kind of go, oh, I see. 
the reason why that's happening. The reason why my character is running away from this is because even though they're not saying it, they're afraid of this other X thing. Um, and sometimes I'll go, yes, absolutely. I'm, I, I hadn't put that into the scripts yet, but that's coming up, so that's great. And other times I've kind of gone, oh my God, I hadn't realized that that's what was happening. But you're right, it absolutely is. Um, and it's really electrifying when you get that feeling of, oh, you, you're able to see this. You're able to recognize it. You're able to get this meaning out of it. So you've done this several times. You have Wolf 359, which you've mentioned, and you have a couple other other audio dramas, like a, like Unseen. Mm-hmm. Um, That's our then, latest show. Yes. And Time Bombs, and I, I'm definitely missing one. Uh, Zero Hours is the other big show yes. that we did, and that was kind of our last show. Ironically enough, it was a show about the ways that the world, possible ways in which the world could end. And ironically, we released it at the very end of 2019, right before, in a certain way, the world <laughs> came to an end. Um, or at least life as we knew it came it's to an end. It's your fault. Um, we really, you know, never before have I been so sad and so um, so upset to be ahead of the times, ahead of... Uh, ahead of my time. At this point, while I continue to produce Mercury Theater Podcast, I am getting ready to record the upcoming series Universe 25. I was interested how Gabriel felt about writing a series versus an anthology, and which type he preferred. You know, it's... It's... There's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, On the most part, I tend to like writing long-running series better. Um, Or even if it isn't long-running, something where we stay with the same characters and we get to see them grow over multiple chapters. Um, And Wolf 359 kind of came about due to a series of very freakish and borderline impossible to replicate circumstances. The biggest one of which was, like I said before, I kind of knew all of these brilliant actors who, of the core cast, almost all of them had gone to the same university that I'd gone to. Um, And we're all in this place where we didn't care about making money when the show started. We wanted to work. We wanted to, you know, just to be performing or to be writing or to be directing. Um, And so we were able to make that show with everyone in the cast and the crew and just like every part of the creative team on that show more or less deferred payment until the show was over, Um, which is the only reason why we were able to make kind of a four-year running sequential show. Um, I would have I, I, I would have loved to make another show like that, but now that we're a little bit older and now that we're kind of working in a more grown-up establishment and now that we are kind of trying to do something that at least has some shambling semblance of professionalism, um, you can't just kind of go, well, I would like to hire some top-notch world-class actors 
And if everyone could not be paid, please, that would be fantastic. Um, <laughs> because that is, you know, that is that is now both a logistical and an ethical impossibility in a yeah. way that both of those things, given where everyone was when we made Wolf 359, was both of those were kind of a little bit turned down, um, even though um, I've been very, very happy to be able to pay back the actors and the technicians that worked on that show because paying the people that work on your show is a very good practice. Um, All of this is kind of a very long-winded way of saying that if we haven't made kind of another long series um, where you follow the same characters around the way that we did with Wolf 359 since 2017, boy, it's it's not for lack of wanting to. You know, it is not for... It's... The the spirit is willing. The budget is weak. Um, you know, that is something that we've been wanting to do forever. And we've been trying to look for partners for something like that. Um, and to try to do something like that. Um, anthologies. I love the episodes that we did of Zero Hours. I love the episodes that we did of Unseen. But they're murderously difficult. You know, people kind of go like, oh, like it must be a little bit easier because you don't need to deal with the continuity. I'm like, no, it's harder because every episode you need to reestablish the world. You need to start from zero every single time. And you need to kind of continuously re-educate the audience on what the rules are with every new story. Um, And again, you know, like I loved making Unseen. Unseen is I'm enormously prideful of that show but doing an anthology series that was all monologues where everyone was recorded separately um and those were decisions that were precipitated by the pandemic happening last year um it's probably the most difficult time that i've ever had writing a show um and probably the least fun that i had writing it although the directing again tremendously fun directing wonderful time well little known to many there is a course gabrielle hosted called audio fiction 101 let's discuss uh, it served a couple of purposes um one was uh, i made that class with my kind of recurring partners in crime uh zach valenti and sarah shackett who were writers and producers and in zach's case actors in um, basically all the shows that I've made. Um, but we were also, around the time that Wolf 359 was ending, we were doing a little bit of teaching. Um, we did a couple of university workshops and a couple of lectures um, and a couple of kind of just educational gigs um, dealing with podcasts and with kind of audio fiction particularly um and so we kind of had education on the brain um and we've also all been fascinated by just the world of online education we'd all um during the time that we were making wolf 359 worked in a online education startup so we were kind of fascinated by all of these worlds but i think the thing that really precipitated it was that we weren't seeing a lot of the education that we really would have wanted to have when we were starting out in audio fiction. Um, And, you know, and the sort of 
recurring joke that I ran into when I was a student at university and I was a film student was that kind of a lot of film school education is here's how you run a camera, but nobody will kind of articulate in a way that you can understand what is a good shot. Or people will teach you how to edit films, but no one will kind of articulate what are the principles of good editing. Um, there isn't kind of an education of how do you recognize quality and how do you kind of interact and sort of cohere with it. Um, and so we were kind of discovering as we sort of did our survey of the world of audio fiction education, kind of the same thing was missing from that world. A lot of kind of, oh, are you interested in audio fiction? Here's how you run your microphone. Here's how you can, you know, record people remotely. Here's how you can set up your RSS feed. And we were kind of going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But like, where do you teach what is a good audio story? Like, where do you teach what kind of stories work well in audio? Where do you teach the nuances of what makes for good dialogue in audio? What kind of characters are easier to develop in audio and which ones are harder? Where do you talk about world building? Where do you talk about kind of the different tools that exist in order to transmit information to the audience? Uh, and increasingly, we weren't finding anyone that was doing that. So we kind of went, well, gosh darn it, I guess we'll do it ourselves. Um, and that was ultimately the ethos of Audio Fiction 101, of kind of before you go off and you learn how to cut something or how to record someone or how to sort of put something online, come over here and just talk to us for a little bit about how you interface with the medium and why stories work and how stories can get the most out of being audio-only experiences. Gabrielle and I geeked out about Casey Whalen's book, Bombs Always Beep, for a while. You know, a personal favorite read of mine. Which is a fantastic book, but it's very technically oriented. Though I will say, Casey writes beautiful dialogue, crackling dialogue in the works of Casey Wayland. The man does it all. It's indecent. It's indecent. So your Audio Fiction 101 is kind of like that, that almost interactive kind of uh, consuming or consumable version of, of Bombs Always Beep, I guess. A little bit, yeah. Um, our kind of, we had a couple of sort of models to emulate, um, most of which were professors that we had kind of in our own university that were really good at kind of striking that balance of, I'm not going to give you anything prescriptive. I'm not going to sort of say this is the objective way it needs to happen, but I'm just going to give you these precepts and these fundaments that you'll be able to kind of take forward. Um, the other thing that was very, very big and kind of like our thinking was uh, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, um, which I think to this day is one of the best books that I've ever read, possibly the best book that I've ever read, of somebody teaching people why an art form works a certain way and never, and again, sort of striking that very, very difficult balance to walk of kind of, I cannot tell you this works and this doesn't because 
there will always be examples of both things. Like there will always be something that will be able to flip that example around. There will always be some scenario in which the thing that completely didn't work over here is now going to be completely the right way to put the pieces together over there. Um, but you can talk about the dynamics of the medium. You can talk about how it brings different pieces together. What are the avenues with which it presents information to the audience? What are kind of the like big general forces that are at work? And what are the different ways that people can interface with them? Um, and I remember sort of, you know, reading that book and kind of being like, I feel that this will not only help me with kind of work that I'm going to do in the future, but it is now retroactively making me understand why I love other things that I've already read in the past. And that was kind of my hope and my dream and my ambition with Audio Fiction 101, that it would be able to do something similar for people and audio fiction, the way that that book deals with comic books and graphic novels. So you're always consuming and always creating. Oh, my God. Okay, so <laughs> you are all over the place with all of your... Yourself, so you've we've mentioned a few of them. It's nice of you to copy, to to add that little bit at the end because some people do just say you are all over the place, and I'm like, yes, I know, I am, I ramble, I apologize, <laughs> but I am all over no. the place. It's true. Zach Valenti, Sarah Shackett, and Gabrielle host the show No Bad Ideas. It's a great show worth giving a listen. Yeah, all of our shows, all of our shows are cult favorites, but that one is like real culty. Uh, like, like not a lot of people listen to No Bad Ideas. The kind of recurring joke is that it's like every podcaster's favorite podcast is No Bad Ideas, um, but that most other people have no idea what it is or don't listen to it at all. Um, but like for the few people that vibe with it, it's there and we love making it. But you've also done collaborations with other shows like The Bright Sessions, yes. Wooden Overcoats, and Outliers, and Anthology, Our Fair City. Like, you're you're in everything. <laughs> no, Misha Stanton is in everything. Misha Stanton is the person that has actually worked in every single show, and I have no idea how they do it. I am lucky enough to be able to collaborate with a couple of shows. Um, usually I get to kind of, like, help out one or two shows a year. And it's just that I've been doing this for a while. So the list like feels like it's been built up. Um, but no, I've just gotten very, very lucky and been able to just kind of help some of my very, very talented friends push their boulders up the mountains. Um, but they've done all the heavy lifting. I've just been along for the ride. You're the Patton Oswalt of podcasting. <laughs> that may be my favorite comparison that anyone has ever done for me. And I... <laughs> Like, that feels so true for my temperament. That feels so true for kind of my placement. I, I love that. That's that's tremendous. He's, he's in everything. <laughs> Considering he has so many avenues out there, I wanted to give him an opportunity to highlight any particular plug of his. Sure, 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 sure. Um, so I feel that basically everything that I've done has kind of bubbled up in the course of this conversation. Um... Uh, but I will say uh, I'll give a special shout out to Unseen because it is kind of our most recent baby. Um, and if anyone hasn't heard it yet, it is kind of a modern fantasy show that is kind of all about this world where it's the present day. Magic is real. Some people can do amazing things. Some people have these incredible supernatural powers. 
but for some mysterious reason, only a very, very tiny fraction of the world can see that magic is possible and can see that these people can do magic. Um, and so it is kind of an anthology series where every episode is a new person that lives somewhere in the unseen world and kind of how they live in this world where amazing things are possible, but almost everyone is completely unable to see kind of the specialness in front of them and what that does to people and what that does to kind of the way that they think about the world and how they deal with other people. It is 15 stories of magic and wonder and twists and turns and there's basically a different genre to every story so if there's ever one that you're like nah that's not my thing you can just tap on over into the next one um and we're hoping to in the not too distant future be able to come back with more stories and maybe tell a couple of like longer form stories for unseen um so if you are a fan of fantasy and magic, there is no better time to check out these 15 stories of magic in the modern world. Well, excellent. And how do people follow you? Do you want people to follow you? I know that you're super active on Twitter. I am, if anything, too active on Twitter. <laughs> um, my Yeah, my, my Twitter handle is um, Gabriel Urbina, G-A-B-R-I-E-L-U-R-B-I-N-A. And then just TM, as in trademark, at the end. Uh, so if you hit that up, you'll be able to get, uh, let's be real, it will be advertised as news about upcoming shows and like discussions about writing and about creating. But in reality, it is mostly complaining about Doctor Who and um, <laughs> just like whining about writer's block. So that's what you're signing up for. Um, you are forewarned. I wanted to surprise everyone, including myself, so I asked the good man what secret talents he had. Yeah, it's been a couple of years since I've done it, but I did fire spinning for about six years. What? Um, like with... Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I used to do staff and rope dart, uh, a couple of sword acts. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was a fairly big part of my life for a couple of years. Um, and really ever since I moved to New York, it's, um, much more difficult to do it around here yeah. than there, than it is in other places. Like kind of like the circus community in New York is focused on other things. So it's kind of fallen off by the wayside. Um, but I think that I could still spin a mean fire if I got the chance and the right equipment. That's like... Like, I technically know how to play a trumpet, but I don't know uh -huh. where to play a trumpet. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, that's been, like, that has been observed by other people. Just kind of, they're like, you know, Gabrielle, most people, they, like, leave high school and college. And they're like, oh, I could play the violin. I remember enough of how to do it. You're like, oh, I could, you know, douse some, like, you know, um... <laughs> Staffs in stick on camping fire. fuel, <laughs> and yeah, and um, just like put on a three to four minute fire spinning routine, and, which tells you a little bit about um, what the educational experience was where I came up. You have Puerto Rican descent, right? Or you are of Costa Rican? Co Costa Rican. Uh, I, I knew that it was a Rican. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> dude, 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 please. I think that even the two, even Costa Ricans and Puerto Ricans make that mistake all the time. So no sweat. Um, does it does it have a have anything to do with the Costa Rican? Um, Hilariously image? not. Hilariously not. Okay. Even though there are some places in Costa Rica where fire spinning is very active and very much alive and well. Um, no, it, I, I got introduced into that world when I went to the, to, when I, excuse me, when I came to the States for university, um, that was something that was an extracurricular at my college. I kept him on the hook for just a tad longer to ask him if he could retire from anything in the future, what would it be from? (laughs) Everything. Uh, no. And, 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 you know, and like, I don't mean that to sound cocky, but it is, um, I am definitely sort of someone that would love to try many different art forms and many different forms of storytelling um, before I retire, if I ever retire. Um, Maybe I'll just like be typing away at a new audio fiction script by the time that I'm 95 and I'll just like suddenly keel over my typewriter like P.G. Woodhouse style. Um, But, you know, um, as I mentioned before, I studied film and like, you know, the main sort of artistic ambition in my life has always been to work in film or television. Um, Audio fiction was, when I started to do it, meant to be a temporary diversion and a thing that I sort of did for a while as I cut my teeth and became a better writer. And that has been a wonderful diversion and has been an incredibly rewarding one. But it's a diversion that has now lasted for seven years, seven going on eight. Um, And there is a part of me that longs to um, work on something visual that, you know, like would love to get the chance to put together like an indie film. Um, So the spirit is there. Once again, the budget, not so much. That part of it is weak. At the same time, I wrote the first draft of a novel about two years ago that, thanks to the pandemic, has kind of been in, like, rewriting development hell. Um, I have kind of not had the brain space with the world falling down to be doing all of the things that I've been doing and also rewriting a novel. But I do hope to get to that soon, and I do hope that that will be something that one day will be available. Um, But I love the experience of writing a novel I hope that that will not be the only novel that I write. I hope to come back to that sometime. Uh, I would love to work in theater. It's something that I've not been able to do nearly as much. I would love to be able to write and direct a show. Um, so, yeah, no, like, I, I, I want it all. I, I, you know, like, that Queen song just blares whenever I enter a room because I want it, I want it all. Yep. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It's so addictive to become a, a creator. And then you realize that there are all these different avenues that you have at your disposal. And it's like, or absolutely. It's like, I could, I could do this or I could do this. And it's like, like creators create and just and there. It's so addictive. And then eventually it literally will take all of your, your time. Like if this was your full-time job, you would make it three full-time jobs. If you possibly could. Absolutely. <laughs> No, there is, and you know, and this is, um, this is something that I did notice when I was making Wolf 359 and it has proven to be unerringly true. Artistic projects are an ideal gas. They will fill whatever container 
they are put in. Um, because, you know, there would be times and there continue to be times when I, for a variety of reasons, find that I need to write a script in, oh my God, three days. And they are horrendous three days, but it gets done. But then I sort of find myself like, wait a minute, ah, but for the next one, I have a month and a half to write that script. It'll be wonderful. And I end up staying late the night before it's due because it fills up that space. It absolutely kind of just like however much mind space and however much brain space you give it, it will use it up. Um, that's why I'm a really, really big fan of um, if you are interested in being a creator of kind of just giving yourself arbitrary deadlines of kind of just being like, I'm going to make something and it'll be out in one year. Um, because if you let it, you could be working on that for for many years. Um, and I think that like we all get better by iterating. We get better by doing one thing and putting it out and then moving on to the next thing. I was told that it's not that that people finish a project, they release it. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, there's always room to critique stuff. And it's like, you know, there are several books that have, have one book out and then there's that sequel that's always being written. And then it's like, I'll, you know, once it's finished, then I'll, I'll publish it, but it's not mm -hmm. finished yet. And then it's perpetually unfinished, but yeah, no, what is, um, someone, someone very famous has a quote about the kind of amounts to artistic projects are not finished. They're abandoned. Um, you know, like for whatever reason, and that doesn't always mean like abandoned and like retired and or like left in the closet or whatever. It can sometimes be abandoned in a movie theater where people will see the work. Right. Um, but no, but I think that, you know, aside from Mozart, people don't finish artistic projects. They kind of run out of time and put out the best that they could do with the time that they had. Yeah. Gabriel, it was an absolute honor and pleasure to, to talk with you. If there is anything that I could ever do for you, then obviously let me know. Um, but I am, I am. Uh, I am humbled. No, that is exceedingly kind of you to offer and exceedingly kind of you to say. And no, it's been my privilege to be here. This has been a blast. Well, that was a dream come true. Gabriel is one of those people who gives off the genuine article vibe. What a great guy. Gabriel, thank you again. Sorry the internet cut out at the end there. That was totally on my end. As for everyone else, Mercury Theatre Podcast Original Productions is returning this month. We've missed creating episodes for you, but rest assured, the wait will pay off dividends. Speaking of, Universe 25, a show I've mentioned periodically, is currently undergoing a crowdfunding campaign. It's specifically for Universe 25, but it is also all things Mercury Theatre Podcast. If you have been enjoying the content we bring you free of charge, please consider a donation of any size. There is a link on our website, mercurytheaterpodcast.com, and in the show notes. And if you can't support us financially, that's fine too. Share a show with anyone you think would enjoy our show. Word of mouth is always the best way to spread the word. Thank you for listening to our show, and we are so excited to begin Mercury Theater Podcast Season 2 on November 29th. Until then, I'm John Badger. Now what?